0: Welcome to Light Your Leadership Talks, or Lil Talks. Every week, we bring you informal chats with leaders and leadership experts from around the globe. Your host is Lisa Anna Palmer, author of the international best-selling book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. Listen in so that you too can stay informed about the latest wise practices that set great leaders apart.
1: Before I introduce Natalie, I would like for all to join me in acknowledging and honoring Indigenous peoples in this country and in the world who have given and sacrificed so much and continue to teach us and remind us about respecting Mother Earth and all living beings. I would like to acknowledge that we are all joining in from various Indigenous lands that have long been inhabited by Indigenous peoples, and that since I am in Ottawa, That I'm on the traditional unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples. I would also like to acknowledge the wise practices of the First Nations, Métis and Inuit and their unique and inherent relationship to these lands. Let's take a moment and pause and remember and acknowledge and honor the spirits of thousands of Indigenous children whose lives were lost and torn apart when they were taken from the arms of their parents and imprisoned in Indian residential schools by the government and religious institutions. Their precious voices are finally being heard and they are showing us the undeniable truth. Our hearts go out to all the children and all of their relations. Please accept our deepest sympathies and condolences for your great loss. Now, I will turn it over to our wonderful and amazing guest, whom I love dearly, Natalie, whose spirit name is Dancing Star Sparkles Through Water Woman. Natalie is a pipe carrier of the Algonquin Huron ancestry and has been adopted into the Mountain Goat clan of the Navajo through ceremonialist Ron Yellowman. She's been walking the Red Road since the 1990s. She's been blessed to sit ceremony and travel with loving elders from various nations going through the process of slowly embodying teachings. Besides being a mother, wife, soul shaker and traditional drummer and an amazing friend, currently Natalie is the lead for Indigenous retention and well-being at the Corporate Indigenous Workforce Director of Indigenous Crown Relations and Northern Affairs Canada. She is also deeply involved with and is doing important work on Indigenous cultural competencies for the Government of Canada. I'm so grateful that you are here with us today, Natalie, to share your wisdom about Indigenous worldviews and two-eyed seeing. Thank you so much for joining us as a guest on Little Talks. This is part one of a three-part conversation with Natalie Blosky
2: on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. Miigwech for that uh, wonderful introduction, Lisa. And, um, anytime Lisa reaches out to me, it's always an easy answer. It's always a joyful yes. And yes, indeed, we are connected. We are heart sisters. And I want to acknowledge that you're wearing orange, uh, today for the children and how wonderful it is. Uh, I'm wearing red for the missing and murdered Indigenous women. And so I think, um, we'll go with that connection. And what I'd like to do is to start off with a welcoming song, and uh, it comes from uh, the Algonquian language. It's uh, Anishnabe, and basically, I'd like you to imagine that you're joining us uh, by canoe. And our canoe follows river and sometimes, as things will <laughs> in the canoe, things kind of speed up and sometimes they slow down. And so um the reason uh, this song is coming to me this morning is so that everyone feels welcome into the circle. This is going to be a safe space to have a conversation about uh two-eyed seeing and living and how we can all benefit from it.
3: Wichita, tuya, do tuya, ya. Do ya, do ya. Which is that? Do ya do ya? Hey, Pichita, do ya do ya do ya Pichita, do ya do ya do do ya.
1: Thank you, Natalie, for sharing that beautiful song.
2: And whenever I sing it in the schools, because sometimes I go in uh, as a parent and um, do presentations to the school kids. And whenever they sing this, I give them complete freedom to dance and do whatever it is that their spirit and their soul feels like doing. So um, hopefully it's connected with you in that way as well and uh, bring you a little bit of joy today. So yeah, so Lisa reached out to me, um, hoping that we could have a conversation about a little bit about what's going on. But what I wanted to do today, what came to me and and usually we're guided by spirit as to what we'll be sharing. And so this has been kind of like a mini pregnancy during the past uh, couple of weeks where I've been thinking and praying on this and what really came up. And it's what keeps coming up uh, whenever. Um, I do presentations at work at Crown Indigenous Relations and in Northern Affairs Canada or Indigenous Services Canada. Um, because I'm with HR, we serve both departments. This two-eyed seeing just keeps on coming up again and again. And a lot of the work that we're doing now. Because of Jordan's principle where children were taken out of their homes, Indigenous children, and put into foster homes or or sometimes even like, you know, across the country and taken away from their culture and their family. And also, uh, when you think about the missing and murdered Indigenous women, when you think about all the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, a lot of what's in part led to these atrocities has been a lack of cultural competency, and it's something that Indigenous employees have been asking for uh, quite a few years, actually, Uh, I would say decades, is to bring cultural competencies into the public service and specifically into the department I work in, as well as the newer department, which is Indigenous um, Services Canada, And so what I'll be doing today is I'm going to be sharing about this thing that's called Two-Eyed Seeing. I'm going to connect you to it through both science and through traditional knowledge. And that's actually part of Two-Eyed Seeing, as you'll learn. And when we talk about the way that Indigenous people are in all cultures, actually, when we try to understand Often it's about understanding the strengths of the ways of knowing, being and doing of a culture. And so I'll be sharing some of that today. How, how do we process all of this? stuff that's about my own culture, my own unconscious biases, and a culture that I wish to learn about. Um, and in Canada, we coexist. We've always been there. I've had the delightful surprise of sometimes when I do circles with children of, I remember this one little girl, she was just so excited, just, oh my gosh, I thought Indigenous people didn't exist anymore. And it was just a, a joy for her to uh, connect with that culture and to know that it connects from the heart, the mind and, and the spirit, um, as well as the soul. And so for me, that was a special moment. And, and there are many moments like that. I think as people learn more and more about Indigenous cultures, um, the more connected we feel together. So, so that's it in a nutshell that I'll be talking about today. I wanted to also say that since the 90s, as Lisa has mentioned, I've been putting all of my efforts into uh, walking in beauty, which is a saying that Elder Ted Silverhand, who's Tuscarora, has often used in some of our lodges, uh, which are gathering places, and um, they, they kind of sit on a cultural foundation. And so when we talk about walking in beauty, it's about walking in balance in your life. And we'll talk about that, uh, Lisa, as we go through a little bit of this information that we're kind of going to, I'm going to have you kind of go through it and digest it along the way. And I'm sure it's going to be really useful to you in your life. It's not just useful for the public service. It's useful for, for everyone, all cultures. And I think it's important for everyone um, going forward because we're living in a time of reckoning, you know, with Black Lives Matter, with the Indigenous uh, Indian residential schools and so forth and, and other inequities around the world that are happening as we speak. I think uh, humanity needs to evolve and need to evolve together. And so I'll take you on that journey. So I I want to, first of all, acknowledge that I have been touched really deeply by my friends, uh, family, colleagues who've been reaching out to me as somebody who is of um, Indigenous ancestry. So I'm uh, Huron and Algonquin ancestry. Um also obviously as Lisa's mentioned, I'm also part of the Red Mountain Boat clan uh, of the Navajo as I've been uh, spiritually adopted into that clan through pipe. And um I'm also uh of Irish ancestry and French ancestry too. So I'm a whole bunch of things. And I'm just so grateful for those that have reached out to me, you know, like you, Lisa asking me if I'm okay and just checking in and Sometimes you never know the person who's reaching out to you that they may have had their own uh, hardships to endure. Uh, a couple of days ago, I had a medical appointment and, um, I just happened to mention to my podiatrist what my work is. And immediately he, his heart just poured out to me and he was actually a little tearful on, uh, that call. And for him, he connected it, although he kept saying it's not the same. Of course, it's not the same, but it still hurts. It's that same kind of pain in his family. His family, he's Jewish, and um, so they've gone through the Holocaust, and he has relatives who were two and 3 year old, uh when they were killed. And so I think across different cultures, we can still connect to the pain of someone else um, because of humanity, because um, there is spirit connection. And so when we see, for example, the Black Lives Matter in Canada, often Indigenous peoples have come to support our Black friends. And I think it's, it's just, it's revealed so much to me about the hearts of people as we have those conversations about what's been going on with uh, residential schools. And so when we talk about, um, Indigenous worldviews, Really, for Indigenous peoples, if you look at our original stories, and I should say actually not if you look at, if you hear (laughs) our original stories, because ours is an oral language, it's an oral culture, it actually tells us that um, human beings were created last. So before us were the old ones, so the minerals, the plants, for example, the standing ones that we refer to as the trees, animal life. Um, They were all there before us and we came last. And so we have a responsibility and a role to play in being stewards of all of that. But at the same time, we are no more elevated than the others. We're all equal. And so this is something that you'll hear often about Indigenous peoples is uh we often talk about the circle. And so in the circle, everyone is equal. And we're, whenever we are in that circle, uh, either it be in ceremony or in sharing circles, you know, we're kind of um, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, heart to heart. Um, and so for us, that's all part of living a balanced life and walking in beauty. So let's start with the science. <laughs> There's this wonderful TED Talk by Jill, I think it's Bolton, I think it's Jill Taylor Bolton. And she is actually uh, a neuroanatomist. And she, as somebody who actually studies the brain, um, had a stroke. <laughs> and the stroke affected her left lobe or her, her left, I should say, hemisphere. I have read her book, I've listened to a TED talk, I've also done quite a little bit of, of research. There are two sides. And one of the sides, the right side, is all about the sensory experience. And so it's about uh, the senses. It's about what you see, what you hear, what you smell, uh, what you taste. And all of that information, uh, it feeds emotions and thoughts. Uh, sometimes you'll hear somebody refer to the word intuitive, or my intuition tells me, and all of that is based on that sensory experience. And it's also what allows us to take a whole bunch of information or things that are floating around in front of us to be able to create a big picture of all that. It's kind of like that big picture thinking. It's also what happens in the right side of the brain is very much about this moment. It's about the present. You can also get into a state of tranquility, of bliss, of no mind. And um, some of those words, you probably connect to meditation, for example. And so a lot of traditional meditation methods actually seek out that. And that's actually the right side of the brain. And so it's kind of a holistic approach to things. Um, it, it's also the space where uh, you become the observer, uh, versus being the participant of something you're kind of watching yourself. And those of you, for example, who have followed or heard of uh, Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle speaks a lot about being the observer, about you are not your thoughts. And so it's about watching your thoughts. And it's that ability to disconnect from the body. You may have heard of yogis who do this, for example. I'm going to make that connection to, you know, indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing, and other cultures as well. But I'm just going to continue now going over to the right side of the brain before I do that. So the right side was intuitive, holistic, metaphorical. When we look at the left side, and so what the left side is all about, it's about labeling things. It's about language. It's about numbers. It's about um, seeing patterns. It's about putting things into boxes or into categories. And so that's the left side brain. It's always labeling, naming things, because those two brains actually function together. The other thing is it does is it has a sense of time and linearity. You can understand that there's a past, there is a present, and there is a future. And so all of those are possibilities when you're on the left-hand side. You know, for example, as a facilitator, you have an hour. And so you're able to kind of figure out your time. And when it's getting close to the end of that hour or when you're about halfway, And so, you know, when to come to a conclusion when you speak, that's the two sides of the brain. So we'll go into worldviews.
1: One of the things that, you know, I really appreciated when you said, you know, we are not our thoughts. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness for that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It it comes back to that whole idea of when we recognize that, that it actually empowers us because, you know, a lot of us are are wired for negative thoughts, negative thinking, which I think is evolutionary, because that's how we kept safe, right? Uh, is yeah. noticing the things that were maybe dangerous or whatnot. So the thing is, is that when we live relatively safe lives in, in, in our society, that if we're applying that to all kinds of circumstances, like I used to, to public speaking, or, you know, stepping out of our comfort zone, or learning about different cultures, or, you know, even having uh, the, the courage to speak up and uh, even stand up and stand with others. Uh, that's when our thoughts can really hold us back from doing those things that we're called to do. So I think it's really important to kind of get that understanding that we are not our thoughts.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the first time I heard that I was in my probably my mid 20s. And it was actually in a lodge <laughs> and it was um a wonderful, wonderful elder uh and his helper, who was his wife, and he was from the Okanagan Valley. And uh I remember their uh, last name was Douglas. And the way they explained it was, imagine in front of you a television screen. And imagine it's like CNN, these words are going across the screen <laughs> and they just keep going. And so those are your thoughts. They come. Oh, look at that. There it is. Oh, I don't like that one. Oh, and then it's gone. And then the same thing will happen with, oh, wow, that's an awesome thought. Like, oh, and then it's gone. And so um Eckhart Toll is a wonderful resource as well to tap into. He has this book called, I think it's The Power of Now. And actually that book helped me a lot through, uh, some of my illness in the past, um, the fibromyalgia of just, you know, acceptance and uh, gratitude. And that's certainly something that Indigenous peoples, we really focus a lot on gratitude. And that's part of the formula for uh, resilience, but I'll talk about that a little longer, a little later. And so when we talk about Indigenous people, and we talk about um, how those brain functions work. Traditionally, historically as well, um, Indigenous people actually value both equally. Um, and so uh, the other thing that's really important to know is that when I say Indigenous peoples, there's always an S at the end because there is, of course, the First Nations, the Inuit and the Métis. And that order is the historical order, and when we're looking at uh, legal agreements and so forth, um, so you'll often hear us say it in that sequence. But when you're looking at world views, it's distinctions based, and I think that's something that's really important for people to learn as they start connecting with indigenous cultures. Is that I, for example, cannot speak on behalf of uh, the Ninui because I'm not Inuit, and I don't live that way of knowing, being, and doing. And the same thing with other cultures as well. And even within First Nations, the Algonquin ways of knowing, being, and doing are different from the Mohawk ways of knowing, being, and doing. But both of them have their strengths, and it's how do we work together? Where do we connect? Where do we leverage each other's uh, uniqueness as well? So when I talk about worldviews and Indigenous peoples where we equally value, there's still some space for, uh, variety in there. You know, I think, for example, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the Inuit, but I've, I, I have Inuit colleagues. And when I hear them speak and when I hear Inuit elders speak, I am probably going to tell you that the left side Is also extremely important because in their case, in the North, even today, survival is such a big piece. And in order to survive, you also need to use that, that left. Uh, and sometimes you need it more than you need the other. And then at other times, perhaps you need the other versus the other. But in general, indigenous peoples, um, we've been operating from both sides of, of that brain. And so for us, uh when we do our, our what our worldview is, again that word balance comes in. It it's and it comes from that balance comes from knowledge that's produced by the body, it's produced by the heart, the spirit, um, the soul. It it's informed in all kinds of ways. Again, remember what was on that right side of the brain. It's intuitive, it's holistic, it's metaphorical, but it's also analytic, it's reductive and it's linear. All of those need to work there. And being able to balance both really has given Indigenous populations the capacity to perceive crisis as actually an opportunity to grow and become stronger because we can use both sides and because we live balanced lives. And so Indigenous peoples have been endowed with the capacity, if you look in the past, you'll see it very clearly, we we're able to minimize the negative effects of trauma and for some communities, again, today, uh, we face crisis with confidence because we were able, for example, to manage and to grow from crisis and to cope with trauma. So it was dealt with in a very different way before settlers came to Canada. And I'll talk a little bit more about what, what happened since colonial ways of views or worldviews have come. So for Indigenous peoples in general, um, there's been an equal value to both sides of that of that brain or ways of knowing, being, and doing. When we look at Western views, so for example, if you look at Canada and you look at the United States, in general, Western views have been dominantly been valuing the left-hand side. Uh, and so the linear, the analytic the left hemisphere, you'll see, for example, a separation, and that's, it's really kind of a separation of the two minds where the left hand side is dominant, but we still have access to the other side, but it's kind of seemed like that's art, or um, sometimes I'll hear that's fluff, or that's a nice to have, but not a must have. If you look at, for example, a lot of the workplaces um, and look at the public service as one of the examples, but there are many out there, um, the left-hand side is is very, very dominant. Uh, all the documents that we do um, or have written are mostly from uh, that left-hand side. However, I am so happy <laughs> With the new directorate I'm in, which is corporate indigenous workforce, we really actually have been putting images into our decks. So in the public service, normally you'll see a deck will look like it's a PowerPoint and there's five bullets on one page, then five bullets on the other, and it continues. Um, It's been really interesting to see the impact of just a couple of decks that we've done that actually integrate images, use as concepts. Uh, to explain things and, um, we're, we're just like head over heels. It's, it's getting people to look at things in a really different way. And so if you look at, for example, in Canada and the United States, our institutions that are educational. So from primary school to university, even apps now are very much the left hand side of that brain. I look at my son, for example, my son, when he was very young, before he actually started school, is very much on the right-hand side of of his brain. And to a certain extent, I think a lot of kids are as well. But he's become very, very much focused on the left-hand side of his brain, especially in grade six, seven, and up. And all the video games that he plays, right, they're all very much linear. And they're very much based on that side of the brain. So predominantly, it tends to be on the left-hand side. And again, it tends to be two separate. The size of the brains are applied in different contexts. Yeah, you
1: I, I love that you're bringing this out and and shedding light on this, uh, Natalie. Because and that's one of the things I love about indigenous leadership that you that I've, I'm I'm learning from you and and from other uh, wonderful indigenous leaders that I've had the uh, honor to work with is that more balanced worldview. And you're absolutely right. That's what's going on in our workplaces. There's so much focus on the left side type of characteristics and behaviors that we forget the human, you know, with the, the, the more um, heart-centered side, if you will, heart-inspired. And that's leading to toxicity. And and my hope is, uh, you know, following, you know, the, the reset, if you will, of workplace culture, um, that's going to come uh, as a result of people trying to resume uh, some normalcy in the workplace. Um, many of us realize it's going to be more of a hybrid workplace, but if we look at the cultural aspect of it, regardless of whether it's bricks and mortars, virtual or whatnot, there's an increased emphasis and need to bring in that right side thinking, uh, the view of the world, more heart inspired that that human connection piece which is so missing right now and that's why there's so much toxicity in in every workplace across industry i work with you know all kinds of employers and and the leaders there are struggling because like it or not we we promote people based on how well they do on the left side of their brain how strong those characteristics are both are important like you said so that indigenous view is you know bang on from a leadership perspective you need to be able to lead you need to be able to manage you need to be able to plan strategize you know and you also need to be able to connect at the human level you need to you know learn internal guidance help others as they learn to follow their own internal guidance that more holistic approach and of course storytelling right how do you engage people is through stories so i think in terms of Leadership and how we want to evolve it in the future—it is to bring in that two-eyed seeing, that that worldview that encompasses all aspects of the person, and not just based on you know hardcore results and and the spreadsheets. We need to put people first and the planet first, and then use our left brain to support that.
2: Bingo! <laughs> Bingo! You hit it right on the nail. Exactly. And I think uh, when we choose leaders. We choose leaders who have found ways to balance those, or if you are a leader, but we're always learning, right? Even if you're already in a leadership position, when you're looking at your own development, you really need to look at both of them. And with the Aboriginal Leadership Development Initiative, for example, um, in the public service, so I, I led that program for a few years, and at the time, back then, we didn't call it 2 seeing; We called it dancing in both worlds. But it, it's basically the same idea. And so it's being able to pull in the strengths of both sides of uh, the brain, um, the two ways of seeing, if you will. And so, you know, we're so fortunate. The director that was hired for uh, the group I work with, she is definitely balanced on both sides. And it's exactly what we need. And with COVID, with the pandemic, that's been a message that's been repeated over and over by, um, both our deputy ministers. And it's, um, it's not always easy to implement because not everybody has spent time developing both sides in the public service. As you've said, and many other workplaces, we've, we've invested so much in the left-hand side that we've put the green aside and now we've gotten ourselves into a whole bunch of trouble uh, with how that shows up in behaviors. And so a lot of focus right now is being put on the green side when you're looking at training, like unconscious bias, positive, uh, workspace and so on. There's so many initiatives right now. And if you look at them, they're all on the right hand side of the brain. So it's it's such interesting times. Like you said, it's time for a reset. And it was, uh, yeah. It was more than uh, <laughs> time to do that.
1: Right. And and uh, what it's making me think, uh, like I'm getting all kinds of insights while you're speaking, which always happens. And I love listening to Natalie because all of a sudden, like I, I come out of the conversation a, a different person, having grown in, in some way. This is making me think is rather than go to results at all costs, go to results with purpose. Ah, oh. right. Mm-hmm let's shift that mindset. It's not results at all costs, people burning out, you know, people having workplace conflicts and struggles and, you know, competing agendas. Let's collaborate instead, and let's get results with purpose, right? With meaning. I love that
2: you said that, Lisa. I have shivers. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's have a look now. So we looked at Indigenous worldviews and the brain, and we looked at um, the Western uh, worldviews, and now let's have a look at the impact of a dominantly valued left-hand side of the brain uh, as a group of people and Indigenous people and what that effect is. So what happens is that y- you can see what was before an Indigenous worldview, before used both sides of the brain and it was in balance. What's happened is an imbalance. And so colonization experiences and an interesting website to go look at that talks about this is the Manitoba Trauma Information and Education Center. What's happened is that colonization experiences, uh, which of course have included residential schools, it's come to a place where it's resulted in the loss of language loss of culture, teachings, beliefs, lands, and self-determination. Um, it That's all contributed to the progressive disconnection from two-eyed seeing, uh, which is that balanced look from both brains. And it's weakened our ability to face and to cope with crisis. And so that's left us vulnerable to the negative effects of crisis. Whereas in the past, we were better equipped because we're using both sides of the brain. What's happened for some communities is it's actually uh, made them vulnerable uh, more so than before to negative effects of crisis. Today crisis now, it kind of creates increased events of trauma and that results in kind of a prolonged and pervasive physical, it's mental, emotional, and spiritual harm and you know, when it keeps coming at you again and again and again, it kind of embeds itself into your cells. Um and so in addition to that, colonization has also weakened our positive connections in our relationships within family and community. Uh if you think, for example, right, of the children that were taken uh away in the sixties, it was uh, something that's called sixties scoop, um, where children were taken out of homes and they were put in other parts even of the country in a family that didn't speak the language, didn't know the culture, and they were kind of assimilated that way, if you will, you know, just basically ripped apart from their family and the community. Same thing, of course, with residential schools on top of the harm that happened in those places. And so if you're looking at, for example, and I'll speak more about First Nations because my ancestry is uh, more connected to uh, First Nations. We recognize that Indigenous communities that have been able to maintain and support their traditional cultures, their, their practices, their beliefs, their values, were able to cope more effectively with these events. And so I know some elders, for example, in some communities, they have still continued to practice um, their ways of knowing, being and doing uh, and that has strengthened them through these times. And I know that some of the practices, for example, even went underground. Uh, so they were done, continue to be done, kind of hidden from uh, the Western eyes so that they didn't know that we were dealing with those traditions. If you think about potlatches on the West Coast, uh, for example, they still continue, but they kind of went underground. If you look at the Mohawk communities, a lot of them continue with some of their ceremonies, but always hidden uh, from, you know, the department that I work for that was created to kind of watch for that and to stomp it out. So today we refer to that as resiliency. And I know in the public service, and I suspect very much in the private sector as well, resilience has been something that's been coming up. It was actually coming up even before uh, the pandemic. Uh, but it's become even more so with it, how do we continue to move forward in these times of uncertainty and, and um a lot of loss as well. So from an Indigenous perspective, when I talk about uh the ways of knowing being and doing, that's what we call, you know, two eyed seeing and living, it's being able to walk in beauty uh in balance. And so in short, you know, traditional Indigenous cultures um, already contain the strengths that create the capacity to cope effectively with crisis and trauma. So we already have all those tools, uh, and it's to be able to reconnect with those if, if that connection has been severed, and, and how do you do that? So it, it, it can be pretty complicated, but um, we, we have the resources in terms of the knowledge, there are people who have still kept the knowledge. Um, and those that have either, you know, been taken away and put into other homes and have grown up without their culture, often a big tipping point for them is when they're able to find their community again and reconnect with their culture. And it helps them to be able to heal from some of, of, of that harm that was done and some of that, that pain. This marks the end of the first part of our
1: conversation with Natalie Blosky on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. Check back next week to hear part two.
0: A big thank you to our Little Talk listeners for tuning into today's show. Please share with friends and colleagues who care about leadership and what is happening in our workplaces. If you'd like to keep this conversation going, please go to LightYourLeadership.com to book a discovery call. While you're there, be sure to grab your copy of Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. We wish you an excellent rest of the week. And until next time, remember to light your leadership because building authentic business relationships will help you to love your life as a leader.